Welcome to the podcast of C3 Church with today's message. All right. So now let me get into this title a little bit. It says, there is no real altar unless there is an altar. Okay? So if you look at the word altar, I have the A and the E connected together. So when you look up those two words in the dictionary, they're two separate words, right? Well, you got altar, A-L-T-E-R, and A-L-T-A-R, right? So two different words, but it was very interesting to me that they actually have a lot in common. And I believe what we need to see here is is that when we talk about A-L-T-E-R, altar, that means to change state, character, or composition. So something is changing. It was one way, and now it becomes another way. Okay? And then when we talk about altar, A-L-T-A-R, it describes a place where things are sacrificed or offered. Mm. Now, the question is, can you be on an A-L-T-A-R and not change? In a literal sense, I don't believe you can do that. I don't understand how you can put something on an altar as it being a sacrifice, and that thing that was being sacrificed doesn't change any. I'm not sure that's possible. But when we look at Romans 12 here, I want you to focus on two words in there. It says that you present your bodies. So the one thing I want you to see here is is that God is not saying that he's going to make you come. This is an opportunity for you to make yourself available to what God wants to do. The person that's presenting the body is you. The scripture does not say God is going to make you come to him to make this change. Hmm. And then the other word is acceptable to God. So when you look at the word acceptable in the Greek, it actually means agreeable. Agreeable. So so what do we have here? We have that we have to bring ourselves to what God wants to do in our lives as a living sacrifice, and we should be agreeable when we do it. So now the question is, do we often not come in an agreeable state? Yeah, are we dragging one foot behind the other? All right, Lord, I'm going to get there one day. Or, Lord, it can wait till next year. It's all right. I don't, I don't really need to take care of that problem. Or, Lord, I know, I know you showed me again, but I really don't want to deal with that right now. That's not being agreeable. And we have to be, sometimes we had the propensity to say, well, we're waiting on God to do something for us. <laughs> oh, man. God, I'm just waiting on you. I'm where I'm supposed to be. And then God says, well, no, you should be over here. But we have the inclination to say, well, we're waiting on the Lord. What if God is not, we're not waiting on him, he's waiting on us? So this not only talks about a position, 
but an attitude in the position. We have to have both right. All right? So, how, how, I know we got some teachers in here. We got any science teachers? Science teachers? All right, good. Because <laughs> I don't want to be called out by a science teacher. So we're going to go back to science class a little bit here. I want to give you a little quick analogy here. All right? So we got the kids in, in here today, so I wonder if they can help me out here. But there are three physical states of matter. Oh, look, we got a hand up. We got two hands up. That's true. Well, I need more than that. What, what are they, sir? There you go. My man. So we can tell who's smart in the room, amen? We have to ask him all the questions. Right? Okay. So the other ones are solid liquids and gases. Right? So I started thinking about this whole altar thing. And what I believe God was showing me is, is that too many times people want to come up here to this altar for something. But they never alter when they get here. And God is saying, there's no reason for that. And the reason it's happening is because we're not in the right position or we're not in the right attitude when we get here. And because of that, that is blocking what God wants to do because he's not going to force himself on you to do it. He's looking for a willing vessel. Even when you think about clay, it has to be softened enough to even mold it. If it's all broken up and stiff, you can't mold any of that. So God is saying sometimes the people are not malleable. We, we got to get... We got to give a little give in us. But that comes through our direct attitude as it relates to being on the altar. Amen? All right. So when you think about this analogy, we got a stove here right, and a pot. And if I put a piece of ice in that pot and turn on a fire, that's my equivalent of my altar. Now, over time, that ice is then going to melt what? So we have a solid initially, right? And then we have a liquid, right? All right? And then even further, as it begins to get to the boiling point, then we're going to have gas or steam, right? So we have the change in states. Now, what I want to ask you is, is that if I were to put that ice on that stove with that fire in that pot and turn it on and that ice didn't melt, what would you think? Either one, it's not ice, two, something is drastically wrong, or that's not a real stove, whichever way you want to go with it, right? We, we're going a little bit out there, but you, you hear what I'm saying. So it's unnatural for you to be able to put a piece of ice on a fire in a pot and it not melt. It is unnatural for that to not change states. God is saying the same thing as it relates to his altar. It is unnatural for people to come up here and not change. Why even come up here then? Now, 
I am not intending this to be tight. All I want us to see here is, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Well, guess who got it first? Me. So I'm not exempt. But we've been talking about things happening in the church, why the church is weak, why things are not happening, why we're not changing the world, why we're not reaching more, why more people aren't coming to Christ. Well, part of it is, is because we're not changing like we should. And the problem is sometimes we're always asking for it, but we never do. So in light of that, I believe God is saying, I just want to give you this example because that's what it looks like to him. It's great to be in the knowledge. That's the blessing. He wants us to know. We have to get changed, saints, by his spirit, by his altar, by the things that he wants to do in our lives. It's amazing. Everything leading up to the word right now has been talking about that. Today, we have to get it right. Now, these may be small things. So, again, don't, don't take the, the gigantic things in your life and say, ah, that's not what I mean. It could be just the simple things. The simple things added together make big things. As you multiply that, it's good. All right? So what I want to talk about today is four types of altars in the Bible. Four types of altars. All right? So the first one, we're going to go over to Genesis 22. So I told you, let's get ready. Let's turn over there right now. All right? So I'm going to probably read a big piece of this, um, but I want us to make sure that we get the whole thing. All right? Genesis 22, we're going to start at verse 1. I'll give you what the altar is after we read the scriptures. Amen? All right, so it says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the Mount Amarha and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains with which I shall tell you. Okay, so right off the gate, we have an altar. We know it's going to be a burnt sacrifice. We have Abraham, we have Isaac, his son. Now, What's very interesting in here is God says, whom you love. So it's only natural that he would love him because it's his son. But God went out of his way to tell him that I know you love him. Keep that in mind. That's important. All right. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took his two young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood, a burnt offering, and arose and went to the place for which God told him. And then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw a place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go over yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. Okay? So now they're making their journey. They're gone. He says, all right, we're close to where we need to be at, where God wants us. Me and my son are going to go on. You guys stay here. So Abraham took the wood, a burnt offering, and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire of his hand and the knife, and the two of them went together. All right? But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father? And he said, here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire, the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? So Isaac was pretty smart right here, right? So he's looking around like there's something missing. 
There's only the two of us. You've got everything else you need for this altar but something to put on it. All right. Then it came to pass, which, uh, then they came to the place which God had told them, and Abraham built the altar there and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar and then upon the wood. And then Abraham stretched out his hand to take his, the knife and to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay a hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. So our first altar is an altar of personal sacrifice. An altar of personal sacrifice. So now, what are we willing to lay down for the plans of the Lord? Now, this is a beautiful metaphor of what Christ and the Father did for us, right? Abraham and Isaac, right? And then Jesus going to the cross for us, right? And the Father sending him, right? So this is a beautiful metaphor of what Jesus did and fulfilled for us. So there was no bigger thing that God could give to us. And I believe at this time, this is no bigger thing to Isaac, I mean to Abraham than Isaac. But let's just start with the small stuff. Are we really willing to give up some of that stuff that is cluttering our lives to get to God? But see, now this is on a personal level, though, because it's a personal sacrifice. So may, what might be important to you may not be important to somebody else. Right? So this is going to take some self-inspection. What's important to you? Now the problem, we got to be honest about it. All right? So in light of this, because I want to lighten it up, I'm going to talk about me. So pray. Yeah, me. So praise God. So when I first got saved and got serious about the Lord, one of my major hangups was church on Sunday. <laughs> Let me get more specific. The length of church is on Sunday sometimes. <laughs> right? Throughout my experience, they tend to let go on sometimes. Now, I'm a big, big NFL fan. So when I'm like, Lord, I'm going to get serious about you. I'm going to go to church. But every <laughs> on them Sundays, I'm sitting there looking at my watch because I need enough time to get home, change, get something to eat, chill out, and be in front of that TV before my team kicks off at 1. I'm serious. That's how serious of a fan I am. And I'm like, I ain't giving that up. We're going to have to duck out early. We're going to have to leave. We're going to have to do something. But over time, God finally touched my heart. Because for me, that was a, per a personal sacrifice. Because it meant so much to me. So what I'm trying to show you here is, is that it's not, I'm not talking always that it's got to be something all huge and gigantic. This was a simple thing that I entrenched myself in that I loved. But God finally caught up with me. 
And he asked me the question, which one's more important? Now, I'm going to tell you right off that my mouth said, you, Lord. (laughs) But my heart, to be honest, wasn't necessarily feeling that when I said it initially. Mm -hmm. So now, the change in me had to take place. Because right now, football was pretty high to me. So what I had to do was say, God, I'm willing to get on that altar so that what you have for me is more important than anything else in my life. Right? But he didn't force me to do it. I had to willingly say, God, I submit to you. Show me what you want me to see out of this. Now, I'll tell you now, haven't been able to look back at it and been through that, that that is when I got serious about God. Because then I didn't care how long we were here. Doesn't matter to me. No problems. But it took time to do that. But it started with an initial push by me to take a first step to say, it's got to change. So are we willing to take that first step on whatever it is? Abraham was willing to give up his whole his son. A son compared to some football, not a very big comparison there. Not even close. But it's the little things that God is looking for from us to be able to say, God, you are important. For a lot of us, that's going to be time. For some of us, it might be commitment level. For some of us, it may be dedication. Wherever it falls, are we willing so that God can make the change in us? Because one thing is absolutely true. If we are not present, the change can't happen. Personal sacrifice. So what are things that are important to you? That you could let go. That you can make more time for. Hallelujah. Altar of personal sacrifice. Amen. Y'all ready for the second one? Let's go over to Joshua. All right, Joshua 4, we're going to go, we're going to start reading at verse 1, um, and we're going to read several verses here too. Amen. When you have it, say amen. And it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan, that the Lord spoke to Joshua and said, Take of yourselves twelve men from the people, one man for each tribe, and command them, saying, Take yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priests uh, stood firm. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. And Joshua called the twelve men whom he appointed from the children of Israel, one from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over. Before the ark of the Lord, your God, in the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you should take one stone on your shoulders, according to the number of tribes of the children of Israel, that it may be a sign among you when your children ask in time, 
to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? That you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when we crossed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be a memorial to the children of Israel forever. Amen. So the second altar is an altar of remembrance. An altar of remembrance. So this is the time where the children of Israel were able to go into the full promise of God, what he had for them. And as they crossed that river, God said, I want you to remember what's taking place here. So take 12 stones, one for each tribe, and put them on the other side as a memorial so that when your children ask, notice he said your children. So he's talking about the next generation. So that the next generation knows what happened. So I believe God wants us to understand is, is that we need to remember the great things that he's doing. Sometimes it's easy to take it for granted that it just happens. That we see a miracle happen, that we see a healing happen, that we see a deliverance happen. That should be a memorial stone for us. But not so much for us, for the next generation. So the generation behind us knows that God is a fulfiller of his word and his promises. Amen? People too easily forget what the Lord has already done while continuing to focus on what they perceive needs to be done. It's very easy to perceive what you think should be already happening or what you want right now, but what about what already has happened? Where has God already brought you from? All right? This can give off the wrong impression. It kind of makes us look ungrateful sometimes. God, you didn't do this, but God says, well, I did all of those other things. Now, why this is important is, is because I had to look at myself and I said, God, sometimes it's easier to remember things that were bad. And I said, why is that? And he said, because you've done the reverse. You've made a memorial stone for your hurt. Instead of your deliverance. That was personal. That's me. It's easy sometimes to look at all the bad that always happens. What about all the good? Look at your families. Look at your careers. Your houses, your children, your families. All of those blessings that we just look at and say, eh, that's just normal day-by-day stuff. Now, this was a big pinnacle for the children of Israel, right? They had waited two generations to get there, right? So it was big for them, but there's some big things for us too. God has done some big stuff in this room. I'll go out on a limb. I'll say it. I know he has, even if nobody else but me. But do I remember those? Do I talk about those? Do I remind my children about what they did, what he did for we should be remembering this stuff. Now, we can remember. Now, I'm a big music th- person, too, so y'all learn a lot by me. I like music a lot. Now, I can't tell you a song, name, 
or performer most of the time. I don't know. I don't know songs like that. I can't tell you who sung it. Have no clue. What I can tell you is, is that if you play about two seconds of that melody, I know who it is. I know what it is. Now, why is that? Because I have trained my mind to remember that every time I hear it. So much so that I can remember distinct things about my own life from years ago just based on a song that I was hearing at the time. Now, maybe some of y'all are like that, too. Hopefully, I'm not the only crazy one like that. But I can remember exactly where I was, what I was doing, and what year it was. Why? Because I've, I've put it in there. Now, the sad thing is, is that at times, I haven't done that about the things that God has done for me. Why is that? Because we have to make it a diligent effort to remember what God has done for us. It is easy to trug along in life day in and day out and just say, yep, it happened. Great. Thank you, Lord. At the time, two minutes. But then when the next problem hits, we have an example of what God did for us, and then we magically forget. God is saying, we should remember. Throughout the Bible, he talks about remembering the things that he's done. Are we following the standard? This was a symbol, uh, this symbolized a great fulfillment of God's promise for the children of Israel. That he brought them this far and that he would continue to be with them and by their side no matter what. That's that's awesome. Some of the things that we've given up to even remember the stuff that we did. Because I told you I love music, right? One of the reasons why I know that is is because I had two jobs while taking uh, full classes at college. Guess what it was for? Stereo. See how big it was in my life? About to kill myself for something that can go away in an instant. But I'm not going to remember the day that God healed me. And I'm not going to remember the day that he saved me. I'm not going to remember the day that he delivered my kid. I'm not going to remember any of that. It's kind of, well, I got to think about it. Oh, yeah, God, you did do that. The Lord wants us to remember because that's what we tap into when we're in trouble. I just talked about it. By the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Well, what is the testimony? The testimony is remembering what he did. Yeah. That's, that is the testimony. That's right. If you don't remember, you don't give a testimony. <laughs> so we're going to walk in remembering what God has done for us. All right, let's move on. First Kings. I told you we're going to get a lot of Bible today. First Kings 18. Um, we're going to read 
Um, we're going to read several verses here, but we're going to break it up a little bit because I want to get to the end of this particular event. So I'm going to start reading at verse 20, and it says, So the Ahaz sent out all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baals, follow him. But the people answered him no word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let uh, let them give up two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood and put it under a fire. And I will pair the other bull and lay it on the wood and put it on no fire under it. And then they can call on the names of their gods and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. All right. And we're, we're, all of us are pretty familiar with this, right? So the nation is under King Ahab. He's bringing in some things that are not of God, and the people are kind of stranded a little bit. They're, they're, they're questioning God. They're doing a lot of things that they should not be doing. Elijah comes on the scene and says, what's the problem here? If God be God, let him be God. If Baal be God, go with him. That's basically what he tells them. Why are you between two opinions on this? You should know who God is. He said, but to prove it, let's, let's go a step further. Let's go ahead and prove it. So set up their prophets, let them set up their altar, I'll set up my own, right? So this next altar is an altar of demonstration. An altar of demonstration. So now let's jump down to 36, verse 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are a God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that these people may know that you are the Lord God, and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. So notice real specifically what he's saying here. The people's hearts had turned from God. They were questioning. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust, and licked up the water that was around the trench. Now, when all of the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord God, he is God. The Lord God, he is God. And Elijah uh, seized uh, the prophets of Baal. Amen? So, what I want you to see here is, is that sometimes people question what they see. I, I, I'm really past the adage that says, seeing is believing. I don't necessarily believe that anymore. That is not true. And I'm going to prove it right now. Because you had two sets of people in front of this altar. Now, we skipped where Baal's prophets were trying to do things. They were calling on them. They were cutting themselves. Elijah kind of make, pokes a couple jokes at him about maybe he's asleep. Maybe your God is not there. Maybe he's gone away, right? So we, 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 we went over that part. But basically, they had all day long. Because when Elijah comes up, it says it's the evening sacrifice. So all day has passed. And he says, the Lord come down. Now, this was a great demonstration of God's power and his authenticity. Anybody that was standing on that mountain should have had no reason to doubt after that. 
I don't know about you, but I ain't never seen an altar with stuff on it, burnt up, fire around it, and come down from the sky, licked it up, gone. I, I've never seen that. Anybody seen that? No. no. So to see that at the name of the Lord, not, not by all, not anything else, not any other religion, at the name of the Lord it happened. Ah, that shouldn't be any doubt for me anymore after that if you've seen that. Now, what I want you to focus on here is, is that the people, the people started worshiping. Now, it's specific because it says the children of Israel worship, not the prophets of Baal. So what does that tell you? That tells you that even though they saw it, they still didn't believe. Because there's no way that you could see that and not worship the God that just did that. And it happened right in front of you. So they didn't believe after that. Now, this is important because I want to talk about something that we see nowadays. A lot of times we run into certain, sometimes we run into individuals that um, we sometimes classify as being critics of the faith, right? They're always wanting to question the Bible and Jesus and was he God, was he man, did he really die for us, what, what difference does it make? Now, on the surface, there's nothing wrong with the questions as long as you really want the truth, right? Like if you're going to dismiss the truth, then that's totally different. So you have critics, and then you have some other individuals sometimes that walk in the spirit of being a cynic. And I believe that's a lot of what we see sometimes when we're dealing with individuals. And those cynics are described as folks that can see, and you can prove to them that God is real, and they still won't believe it. That is a dangerous state to be in. But we see it on a lot of levels, and sometimes we just overmiss it. I'll give you a problem. You go to the doctor. They say you got a lump. You come to church the next Sunday. We pray. You go back. The lump's gone. The doctor says, well, I just didn't see it. Oh, hold up. It was there last week. It's not there now. I told you I had my church pray, and I pray, and now it's not there. That is clear proof that is controlled by the person giving the evidence, actually. The doctor is giving you the evidence. You didn't even make up the evidence yourself. They took the scan to start with. They took the second one. So then they say, oh, well, wait a minute. Well, we got to go back and look. And then they have another doctor look at it. And then they have another doctor look at it. Then they have somebody else. Well, maybe you need to go to a specialist. Let them see it. And nobody sees anything, but never once will they say, there is a God. So we see this type of cynical behavior all the time. That's just one example. But the reason why we have to be, um, this is important for us to know is, is that we have to sometimes when we are ministering and trying to help people see the Lord, it is important to know who we're talking to. Because you're going to have a hard time with a cynic. That's somebody that it doesn't matter what truth you show them and what proof you have to back up your truth, they still aren't going to believe it. A critic, on the other hand, is only looking for the evidence. And once you can show them the evidence, then they will believe. That's a totally different stance. They're open to what you might have to say with the right evidence. 
Now, here's the great thing. We've got plenty of evidence. From almost every theological um, process you can think of, we've got evidence. Scientific, we got it. Biological, we got it. We got the word, we got it. So we have it. Historically, we have it. Archaeologically, we got it. So there's not a problem with proof. The question is, is that whether people are going to believe it even once you show it to them. But now we have an example even in the Bible because none of those prophets are by all. It doesn't mention one prophet that then turned around and said, well, that's got to be the true God. Because I believe that Elijah wouldn't have arrested them if they had started worshiping. They didn't. They just was, well, okay. So we got to understand who we're talking to. Now, here's the interesting thing is, is that on the other side of that is, is that we'd bring some balance. We shouldn't always be looking for signs either. God is not a Buddha doll. We're not rubbing him to just see what he can do. Right? This was a specific instance. Right? Because if we look for signs, then we're like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Throughout the Gospels, it talks about how they always ask, Jesus, can you show us a sign? Show us a sign that you're real. Show us a sign that you're the son of God, right? Over in Matthew 16, it talks about it. He says, Jesus says that you can discern the times of the skies, right? He was talking about how they asked him, right? Show us a sign that you are. And he says, well, it's interesting that you can discern the weather. I'm paraphrasing. But you can't discern the signs of the times. What basically he's saying is, is that it's easy. It's funny that you can discern everything that's happening around you that you think is important. But you got the son of God standing right in front of you, but you can't see that, that that's who I am. Amen. That's only one example. There's at least 10. So they were asking for signs. So I'm not saying that we should just walk out of here saying, well, God, just show me a sign. No, that's not what I mean. What I'm saying is, is that there are distinct opportunities where God will demonstrate who he is to us. And he has. We have to take it for what it is. Build our faith on that. Amen? All right, let's go to the last one. John 10. Hope you're learning something today. I know it's not a jumping up and down, but, uh, but, we, but we need to see this. Because God has got greater things for all of us. John 10, and we're going to read 17 and 18. All right, y'all there? Right. It says, therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes my life, takes it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. This command I received from my father. So the last, the last altar is the altar of redemption. An altar of redemption. This is the only one that Jesus is the only one that can fulfill. Now, what's awesome about this altar of redemption, it actually has all of the three before in it as well. Because it is a demonstration of God's power. We should remember it. And it definitely was a personal sacrifice for the father. So we get all four of them in one, but uh, we're going to talk about the, re- 
redemption piece of it. So the Romans talks about that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. One of the things that is happening nowadays is that people want to say or can say that Jesus, he, 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 he was killed. He, wasn't, he didn't die for us. And we've got to be very clear about how we say this because he died, meaning he laid his life down. He made a choice to do that. The method on how he died doesn't matter necessarily. The sacrifice is what's important. Now, this is important because it doesn't say over in Romans that because Jesus was killed for us. I want you to see this distinction. It didn't say he, somebody killed him for us. That's, that's not what it says. It says he died for us. That implies that he made the decision to do it. So we have to be very clear that Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice for us. The altar of redemption. We read it earlier today, actually, um, during our communion. And I'm going to wrap up in a minute here. That when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he prayed that, let this cup pass from me. I'm so grateful he put that in his word. Because to me, it shows me because he was 100% God and 100% man, that it shows that he really did feel what we feel. That's one thing, saints, that we have to be encouraged about, that Jesus knows exactly how we feel in every circumstance. Everyone. Why is that important? Because now the Bible talks about that he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, right? Continually interceding for us. So he's interceding not only from the state of the will of the Father, but how we would feel. If, if he didn't know that, difference between knowing it and experiencing it. I know a lot of things. There are a lot of things I haven't experienced, though. Everybody wants, I want to experience going to Fiji. I've heard about it. <laughs> right? That, you know, that's nice. But that doesn't do anything for me. But if I get to go myself, then I am able to identify with what happened and then give a proper description of how it was. Isn't it awesome to know that Jesus is on our behalf talking to the Father saying, no, Dad, my blood covers that. And not only that, I know how they feel. So as we wrap this up here, I want you to think about these altars, all right? And I believe that God wants us to understand how important it is that we not only see them, but that we're willing to be on them in our personal lives 
in relationships with him. There are some things that aren't going to come out of us until we're willing to get on them. And we have to be willing to do it. No matter what that cost is. Sometimes we wonder why things happen. Sometimes things happen because they're preparing us. The great thing about God is he's so big, he doesn't have to make anything happen. But even if it does happen, he can still use it. That's a, that's a big God, guys. It's the same God that gave us free will. Do you know how awesome that is? That even in spite of what we might do, he says, I'm not even going to make you do it. But even in spite of that, I'm going to make a way for you to get to me anyway. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message encouraged you. If you would like to learn more about C3 Church, please visit us in person in Indian Trail, North Carolina at 5805 West Highway 74, Indian Trail, North Carolina, 28079, or on the web, c3churchnc.org, or on facebook.com forward slash c3indiantrailnc.org.